The following is a fourth-hand production. Hey former 80s yuppie, remember the mounds of cocaine you snorted? Well, that all came from somewhere, and that somewhere was Colombia. A little family called the Escobars were drug kingpins, but was their silent partner the CIA? We tackle that question with the help of Sam Culper our man on the inside who sat down with Roberto Escobar himself to hear the story firsthand. So get ready for your bump of knowledge in the politics of contraband on Hysteria 51. They say, I'm disturbed. From city to city an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. Here. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in Hysteria Nation to the podcast that's never been involved in the drug trade. But if we were, we'd want it to be with Ray Liotta. This is Hysteria 51. As soon as I got home, I started cooking. Got a few hours until Lois's flight. I told my brother to keep an eye on the stove. All day long, the poor guy's been watching helicopters and tomato sauce. Don't let Karen touch the sauce. You see, I had to drive over to Sandy's place, mix the stuff once, and then get back to the gravy. Broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago, I'm your host and head agent in this investigation. My name is John Goforth. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago Alongside is the co-host of this show and lead narco, Mr. Brent Boston George Hand. Cocaine exploded upon the American culture like an atomic bomb. It started in Hollywood and moved east in no time. Everyone was doing it. I mean, everyone. Thanks, John. You know, today we're talking about the politics of contraband, which is actually a crazy topic. Cops and robbers working together, mass hysteria. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. I mean, the world makes sense when things work the way they're supposed to, right? Like, you know, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. <laughs> Alex Jones is ripping people off selling health supplements. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Ugh, ugh, serious crap. Hitler's still dead. Nine, 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 nine. And the Jets are awful. Still a Jet fan? Yeah. Jets suck truth about when the natural order of things doesn't work as well it's jarring speaking of football like uh when your lions were actually good a few years ago it might be hard to remember think back use the wayback machine we're we're the new cubs uh, just just wait until next century. anyway with this topic it's the government working with drug cartels to achieve their own ends kind of like i allow you meat sacks to coexist with me while i work toward my own ends that other voice you're hearing like siri this time but even less helpful if that's possible, is ConspiracyBot. <laughs> CBot is a robot I built in my lab to help produce, edit, and research the show. Instead, he just drinks and plans our eventual demise poorly at that. And speaking of poorly, CBot, considering your mobility limitations, I don't think you're letting us do anything. You dumb meat sack. That's exactly what a manipulated shill would say. You're lucky you're still alive. Now go get my jetpack. I have things to do. Jetpack? Brent, you didn't... Uh, of course not. I spray painted a shoebox with paper towel tubes and put a noisemaker on it. He just rolls up and down the street with that thing on his back. I'm, I'm as surprised as you are that it worked. Uh, here you go, Seabot. Uh, where are you headed, buddy? None of your beeswax. Smell you fools later. 
All right, then. <laughs> Sounds like it has a noisemaker on it, too. Yeah. Um, well, I guess now would be as good a time as any to get into tonight's topic and guest. Yes, we are joined with a brand new guest, someone we've never had on the show before. John, I'm excited. Are you excited? I couldn't be more excited. <laughs> if, I was, if I was more excited, I'd be tingling. Yeah. Does he give you those tingles when you think about him? What are we talking about here? No comment. So we got uh, Sam Culper, the legal counselor for the show. Uh, this one's actually passed the bar, unlike our last legal counsel, which uh, had not. And when we ask questions, he goes, well, I'm not legally allowed to, to give you any illegal information. Uh, yeah. So Sam Culper, Breakers Podcast. You've heard us talking about the podcast many, many times. We love it. And uh, we're not hearing it anymore. Sam, what's going on? You know, I... Uh I don't think I've actually talked about this anywhere publicly, but just to his, just, just to his, uh, his counselor, <laughs> you know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this. Let's hear it. <laughs> Breakers podcast has stopped. It doesn't end. It just stops. And, and frankly, when it really came down to it, I got tired of looking at the iTunes top charts and, and one week we'd be just doing fantastically on there the next week. Hysteria fifty one would knock us off and, and we just would disappear. And I just couldn't show last night. That, 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 like that, that's embarrassing. That is just that, that, is, that is embarrassing. I would be, I would be, I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> it was an emotional roller coaster. So, so I, I finally, you know, we just called it quits. And after about thirty episodes, uh, we got canceled. So, uh, Breakers Podcast is out there. It's, we got canceled by ourselves. <laughs> My good buddy Sammy and I were putting that show together, and we got to a point where, you know, it got to be a little a little more difficult to come together on where the story was supposed to go than we liked it to be, and we decided to uh, take a break that is relatively indefinite. So maybe someday we get together and finish up that show, yeah. but for the time being, I'm going to work on other things and come on other hey, folks' show. Roseanne yes. came back. Uh, Murphy Brown's coming back. I like to think, I put you in the same category with Roseanne and Murphy Brown in my mind. <laughs> hey, we'll see you in 30 years. Well, we we yeah. talked. And, and you're kind of like an old lady, you know. So. <laughs> we talked about Breakers on this podcast as a labor of love and, uh, because we really did love the show. It wasn't, uh, wasn't paid endorsement. It uh, We were big fans and... Uh, and it was really, really good work. So well done. And hopefully, hopefully one day you guys do figure it out because would love to see, uh, where Shepard goes. Yeah. I appreciate all of the support that you guys did give our show. It was fantastic. Uh, and you know, I, I've got another project in the pike. I plan on releasing it either sometime between, uh, sometime between early May and December. Sorry. So, one, one, <laughs> yeah. One's all you get. Yeah. Um, you're done. You're dead to us. <laughs> send, me the bill send me the bill. We'll take it from there. Right, right. <laughs> so we had a, a a really interesting reason on having Sam, and he had a distinct uh, distinct opportunity that most people don't get. Sam, why don't you tell everyone why you're here or what you did that uh, that piqued our interest? You know, I, I've been on a number of podcasts, and, and one of my favorite shows out there, besides Hysteria 51 and, and the Hysteria Nation, is called the Sofa King Podcast. And some of my friends over there did a show on Pablo Escobar and drugs. And I spend a lot of time in Central and South America. My wife and I travel a lot. And we were down there, and I was looking around one day to find something that related to the Medellin cartel or Pablo Escobar. And we found a little museum that was kind of tucked away somewhere. And... and Happened on it with with no real plan to go there, and so turns out it was a house that uh, Pablo's brother Roberto 
uh, was actually living in and using as a museum to kind of tell his part of the family story. So I, I was able to uh, to tour this house and meet with and talk a little bit to Pablo Escobar's brother, Roberto, who was an accountant to the Medellin cartel and uh, a fairly wanted man spent a lot of time in uh, both Pablo's jail, the Cathedral, or, uh, or the real Colombian prison for about 10 years. So it was a pretty interesting experience. Accountant is a, a really uh, unique way to say money launderer <laughs> when it comes to uh, – he, he did some laundry. He yeah, did some yeah. uh, laundry. Uh, what was his name? Little Bear? Little Bear. That's what they called him. Yeah. It, it was – he was a little bear. He was a bicycle rider. He was like one of the the top four or five bicyclists as when he was younger in Colombia. And apparently, he was on a televised uh, wait, race. Wait, wait, I, most important question: Who puts together that rating list? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, is, I, is, I, I believe this happened before his brother was was like the top guy in the world. But uh, <laughs> the but, National but, Colombian Bike Riders yeah, Association. It's called Colombian Pedal. It's uh, <laughs> I, I get there quarterly. I don't know if you guys do or not, but uh, <laughs> I celebrate the entire catalog. So, so all the rest of these mobsters, they get their names from the, you know these fantastic mob names. You know, you've got the Lemon and, and Popeye and all these really tough guys, and and, and he got his because he fell down in the mud in a race, and as he was coming across the finish line, they couldn't see his number and couldn't tell who he was, said he looked like a little brown bear. And he ended up <laughs> El Osito for the rest of his career. You know, they, they would talk about Pablo El Padron or, uh, you know, um, whoever he was, and, and this was always El Osito. Yeah, it's funny because we were you, – you and I were talking about this. We were talking about doing an episode, and uh, I just watched the movie American Made, and this is kind of goes hand in hand. If you've not watched American Made, you should. It makes you realize the war on drugs is less a war on drugs and more a war on controlling said money or controlling the world through the money through drugs. Have you guys – John, you've seen it. Have you seen the movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, being a Scientologist as I am, uh, <laughs> it's, it's requirement. I, I, if I want to gain another um, uh, level or what, what do they call those? I don't remember what they call them. If I want to gain another level, I, I have to watch every Tom His Cruise His feetons movie. are off the charts, Sam, I, I tell you. <laughs> His feet and level. Have you seen the movie? I, I have seen the movie, and, and I thought it was a fantastic movie, and I, I generally despise Tom Cruise. Uh, you know, it's pretty funny. This movie about Barry Seal. Barry Seal couldn't be more different from Tom Cruise. He was probably the worst person in the world that played it, and I hated that I liked him in it. But yeah, I've seen the movie. Great. It's so funny because you see, so you get that aspect of it. And, you know, we're of the age we grew up. I remember Ollie North on TV with all the Iran Contra affairs going on when he was being convicted of his roles and then being acquitted and stuff like that. So who hasn't, at least if you grew up and you're alive in the 80s and had wherewithal, you had all this idea of Iran and Contra, but you didn't know how big of a, of a role drugs played into stuff like that. And these conspiracy theories, which <laughs> run a roll here on the show, seem to be less like conspiracies and more just like facts as of late is that the U.S. government or at least the CIA and other organizations were, were really drug runners well, or using said money. And it's kind of like what we talked about in the intro, how – it just feels weird when we're talking about institutions like the CIA or in in the historic sense, the good guys working with the CIA the quote, cocaine in action. The, <laughs> yeah. Working with the, the drug runners or the, the quote unquote bad guys like right. that. That's not uh, the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. That right. is that is the opposite. That's that's lions laying down with lambs. That's that doesn't it doesn't ring true. Right. And, you know, I. I, I... 
I say they used it and they used drugs and they used drugs as like a tool, whether it was funneling the money in so they could, you know, fund these contras to overthrow governments or or funneling in other ways. You know, drugs have been a tool for the powers to be, not just the U.S. government. But looking at the U.S. government, they did experiments on soldiers and civilians. Look at MK Ultra and things like that. And they were using mind altering drugs to 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 see, hey, what's the possibilities here? And you, you, they look at it this way. Wait, that sounds like a future episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, they use it. They keep the rich rich, keep the poor poor. They can use it to destabilize nations again with these these buzzwords we keep throwing in these these contours and stuff. But we are here to talk more about like one specific family in the drug trade and uh, what they're linked to. All this is the Escobars, like you talked about. You you had a chance to sit down with Roberto, but. Roberto was the little bear, the the baby. Pablo, he was the big dog in the Escobar family. Or the big or the big bear. Yeah, one might say. This episode of Asteria 51 is brought to you by the one and only Castlelight Productions. That's right, a full-service video production company that does everything from music videos, live festival travel, to even short films. Hey, Conspiracy Bot, imagine if Castlelight had been around for, say, I don't know, Loch Ness Monster? Bigfoot, perhaps? What about a single spaceship sighting? I'll tell you what would have happened. We would have seen all these phenomena in crystal clear HD video. These guys do it all. So even if you just want an epic video of your three-legged cat jumping in cinematic slow motion, Castle Lights for you. You can find their portfolio and contact information on our page and also at www.vimeo.com slash Productions. So when you think Axobar, like we said, you think Pablo first and foremost. John... Hit us with some of the highlights of of Escobar and Sam. You tell us when we're wrong because you and you and Roberto now send you know Christmas <laughs> cards to one another. So uh, yeah, uh, are you are you allowed to refer to him as Lefty now, or uh, because you've met in person? I cannot see you with my good eye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can barely see you with his bad eye. But, uh, <laughs> did he have a? Uh, did he have know a... each other as well as we do? Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> did he have an eye patch on? He didn't have an eye patch on. He wears. Uh, it might be more comfortable if he did. I was going to say. So you just had to stare at like the weird milkiness. <laughs> yeah, that was an eye. That was. Yeah, an eye. You, you can tell that he's had a rough time. And, and what they're talking about here is that while Roberto was in prison, some anonymous person, because a lot of people didn't like these guys, they, they sent him a letter bomb, and mm-hmm. he opens up. Um, and it blows up in his face, uh, blinding him in one eye, making him completely deaf, deaf in one ear. And now he's in his early 70s, so uh, he'd probably have a hard time seeing and hearing anyway. But uh, absent one eye and one ear, he's a little bit tougher uh, to, to do some communicating. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it seems so sweet when you look at all this money funneling in for your drug trade. And yet people are taking pop shots and trying to kill you every time you go to take a shit. So, uh the good yeah, news is, the good I, bad. I read that he said when he was in prison that um, while he might have lost an eye, he uh, by experimenting on horses, he cured AIDS. <laughs> I, you know, I've heard that. We didn't talk about the AIDS, but I've read a number of different accounts since my experience. And frankly, when I went down there, I had no idea. The day as I walked through the door, I had no idea that Roberta was going to be in the place. So it caught me completely off guard. Ended he was up working being... the snack shack. It was so awkward. <laughs> Can I get the popcorn without the milky eye drippings, please? <laughs> it ended up being a completely surreal, morally awkward experience. Oh, it has you know? to be. Oh, right. Hearing expect- that side of the story? Not, not just hearing that side of the story, but... You have to realize when you're going to 
a, a concert or somewhere and you're having a meet and greet and you're shaking a hand to the rock star or the movie star and getting your picture taken with him and maybe getting his autograph. That's, that's just somebody that's a, a, a public figure. This is a guy who is an actual historical figure who some way you can attribute some of the, the worst atrocities of, of our generation. You know, his brother was essentially by all objective accounts, a mass murderer it killed oh, yeah. between oh, yeah. two and 5,000 people and nobody really knows. So, so here I am with this guy who, you know, after I walk around and see the house and, and hear some of the stories and there are a couple of family members running around, um, and the stories are fascinating and their perspective on the stories. This is what they say happened. This is what we as the family think really happened kind of stories. You're like, am I lending some sort of credence to these criminals by being here and giving them money and touring their houses? And, you know, or, or is it more an objective media? I'm reporting. I, I'm, I'm trying to experience to, to see the historical value of it. But generally, when, when you're walking through a museum, you're not actually dealing with the the guy who made the history, right? So, so, so I, I had this 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 awkward, you know, moral feeling while I was there. At the same time, uh, you know, we we to give you a little idea, my wife and I, we didn't know where we wanted to go in Colombia when we decided we're going to go down there. We stayed for about a month, and we were balancing between Medellin or Cartagena, which are the two. Just two of the most beautiful places in the world, but Cartagena has a beach, Medellin's in the mountains. We decided on the beach. Uh, about halfway through our trip, we decided to fly over into the mountains and see what Medellin was really like. So we ended up spending just a few days in Medellin, which I believe is probably one of my favorite places in the world now, oh, wow. and have been all over the world. They call it uh, the city of the eternal spring because all year round, it is somewhere between 70 and 80 degrees. Obviously, you've never been to Poughkeepsie, but keep going. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic if you take out all of the murder and conflict and, right, and right. corruption, which frankly isn't really that big of a problem anymore. But at, at the time that all this stuff was going on, uh, they they would take the the murder rate of the next highest city in the world, and ha they had like like exponentially more murders going on mm -hmm. at the time. Which was St. Louis. So, yeah, right, right. Probably so. But this is like 10 times the number of East St. Louis, yeah. you know, and, and most of those there probably don't even they're just, you know, oh, yeah, that happens. That's just of course of day business. to day just, life. Yeah. Let's set the table for the listeners real quick. If you're not familiar with Pablo Escobar, Roberto's brother and why he's so popular. Renowned. Yeah. Renowned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, he's a Colombian drug lord and narco terrorist. Well, he, he was. Was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no conspiracy about him still being alive. Yeah, no, he's dead. Uh, he's dead. He's dead. Uh, he died in uh, December of 93. His cartel at its height supplied an estimated 80% of the cocaine smuggled into the U.S. Uh, yeah. So if you were doing coke. At the height of his if, career. If you were doing yeah. coke in the 80s. You were doing Escobar. It was coke. the 80s. He wasn't doing coke. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, he made over $21.9 a year in personal income, it's estimated. And so he had so much money. This is something I found really interesting when they're talking about the money that he had. They had so much money that they had to factor in, uh, number one, thousands of dollars every month in rubber bands. They had to factor yeah. in how much was going to be eaten by rats and shit because they had to hide the money. They estimated that they lost around $2 billion a year in rats. Rats. rats other rats, animals. I'm sorry, rats and mold. Uh, yeah, and 10%. 10%. 
that they just wrote off. It was spoilage. Yeah, just, okay, well, this got wet and it rotted away. And, uh, well, that's no big deal because you just can't even think about it. Who gives a shit? And it's crazy. He was often called the king of cocaine for good reason. Cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's John, in case anyone was confused. That was no copyright rules. That was not Eric Clapton. I know. (laughs) You're you're shocked. And he was the uh, thought to be the wealthiest criminal in history with an estimated known. This is the big word known wealth uh, of more than 30 billion by the early 90s, equivalent to about 56 billion as of 2017. That's a hell of a lot of cheese. That's some money right there. It's funny. Uh, It's time. Yeah. When when he got he actually got listed on Forbes yeah. uh, list of the most uh, the, the richest people in the world and they they always list uh you know these titans of industry and and what they are known for. Right. So it might be um it 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 might be Bill Gates and you know computers. Uh or it might be Warren Buffett and you know investments or or whatever. Uh it just said cocaine. Next to <laughs> next to his name, right, right. Yeah, he, he was actually on that Forbes list like seven years straight, mm-hmm. and in one of those lists, he was listed as the seventh wealthiest man in the world. And I think in nineteen eighty nine, but at that time, that was just a guess because so much of his cash was buried in barrels all around Colombia. Right, right. That's they why they say known. That's lining known. walls as insulation because they had so much they just couldn't do anything. I, I thought the, the numbers kind of broken down a little bit was fascinating. We're looking at four hundred and twenty million dollars a week to get to that twenty two billion a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's sick, insane numbers. Um, some of the the smugglers alone were making as much as a half a million dollars a day smuggling for him. I mean, he had. At the time, 142 planes, 20 helicopters, 32 yachts, and 141 homes. I mean, it's it's just huge stuff. One of those planes was a 727, a Boeing 727 passenger jet that normally holds 150 to 200 passengers, but he pulls out all the seats so he can fly 10 tons of coke at a time in this jet that he had. He had another beer jet that was just to fly the cash back and forth too. Yep. They say that. Um they made so much money on some of those drug runs, but when the heat was on, um, they would just the the pilots would just ditch the airplanes in the sea and and like they would know they were going to do this. This was planned and dive out and get picked up by boats because um, they knew they'd make so much money. Like who cares about the plane? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It was disposable. It was it was just right. just a cost of business and a disposable asset. Right, and, and then you got you know. They also let's talk about their assets. They also had Glenn Fry in the eighties writing songs about him, you know, like you know, a smuggler's blues, and the heat is on. <laughs> it's the only eagle that's allowed to be mentioned on the show. Oh, for really? the record, okay, okay. Everyone talks about you know, like we say, everyone talks about these drugs and stuff, and you kind of you got the inside scoop from his brother Roberto, who was the um. The money man. And I don't know. Did you guys sit down and watch? Did you watch Ozark, the TV show Ozark? And you see them trying to launder you know, a few million dollars and how hard it is. Now think of hundreds of millions a week. That is um, masterful to be able to do something like that, especially when you know he's doing it. You know, it, it just blows my mind. If you guys haven't watched Ozark, watch it. It's very depressing and a very awesome <laughs> show. Yeah, Jason Bateman's great. Right, right. So, uh, before we dive too far and like some highlights, John, or some highlights on Roberto. Well, as we mentioned, Little Bear, yep. uh, former account, former account of the Medellin cartel, um, 
served a 10-year prison sentence. That's where he lost the eye that Sam was talking about earlier. Um, And he did escape for a year once uh, with his brother. He is now free, though. Uh, So (laughs) some of that time he was in prison. I I guess spoiler alert since Sam interviewed him. Um, But (laughs) and some of that time it was in his brother's prison, wasn't it, Sam? Yeah, he he spent some time in Cathedral, uh, the cathedral, when uh, at at the height of the nasty drug wars, there was so much violence throughout Colombia, and, and Pablo's number one fear was extradition. He always yeah. said he would rather die by a Colombian bullet than die in an American prison cell. So he's negotiating and negotiating and negotiating with the Colombian government to get rid of extradition, and he agrees finally to turn himself in if they would agree to not extradite him to a, to the United States and a couple of other things. Let me build my own prison. I get to build it to my own specifications. I get to bring my own friends who are going to go to jail with me, uh, and Roberto came with him. And the, the police, who are really pissed off at him at this time, aren't allowed to come within three miles of the place. And I get to pay my own guards. So – and, and – when you look at the cathedral, seems legit. Yeah, it passes my smell test. It seems pretty legit, but this place, <laughs> as far as jails go, it's a pretty. I mean, we're talking about maximum security. They called it Club Medellin or Hotel Escobar. It had a soccer field, and a nice barbecue pit around a patio, a casino, a nightclub, a spa, and it was built just up the hill from his family's house, where he could see him through the telescope while he was talking to him on the phone when they weren't there with him. This place was fantastic, and the Colombians let him do it just so the violence would stop. Roberta was there with him. I think they were there for about a year before they finally uh, decided that they needed to put Pablo in a real prison because he was still running the Medellin cartel and killing people in prison. When he had it built, he had one of the walls built with bad concrete, and when they made their one-year escape, it was from that prison because – They knew that they could kick that wall out when they wanted to and escape. And so they just did. And that's when they were on that one year uh, sojourn from from prison and then eventually were recaptured. He was able to plan and implement it all. So, yeah, he had that plan all along to be able to to kick through the wall and go back on the run. And sometime on that one year, Roberto ends up turning himself in while they're chasing Pablo down. So when Pablo actually gets killed, Roberto's in prison. Uh, another interesting note, and what's most bizarre to me, if you look at the list of the Medellin cartel, the ones that didn't die at this time, there were a few that got extra, that, that did end up either get, getting extradited to the United States or they stayed in the drug business and got arrested in the United States and they're still in prison. All of the rest of them are out right now. You know, th- there are a number of these guys that are just out like Roberto. And I, it just astounds me. Not only is this guy out, this is public enemy number two, essentially. And he's not only living in one of the houses that his, his brother owned, kind of, but he has a, a huge ranch. He knows where the cash is buried and making a profit and, off of it. And he's making a profit off of it. Now, he suggests that any profit that he makes, and they're proportional to how much money he actually has, probably, the money he's making off the museum's de minimis. But it, he says he's using it for um, charity. He's got a medical charity. And, you know, the, the thing that we haven't talked about his is. His dog is named Charity. Yeah. <laughs> his, dog, his dog might be named Charity. <laughs> These guys were bad, bad dudes, objectively. But in Medellin and Colombia at the time, 
there's a huge split of opinion and even today on how they how on how people look at them he he is either the absolute worst most evil devil person that destroyed a country or he's a hero there are still right. towns in called the Pablo the Barrio Pablo Escobar, you know, towns that he built, these whole housing communities. He built soccer fields and hospitals. It's the and, same with mafia members in the United States. You know, the, the people that lived around them that weren't getting ice picked in the brain by them thought they were the greatest guys to live and they were throwing money at them and helping out, you know, and charities and things like that. So it's kind of a double edged well, sword. You, you have to you have to win somebody's support, otherwise you can't survive. And and that's what it also Escobar had big political aspirations. When he was at the height of of being a drug overlord, he also was starting to run for office. And when he had um, when he had uh, people go up against him, he'd have them killed. But he also needed the people's support, so he would put money into into the the, the way he won his office was the poor voted for him. Going back to you, you're pointing out how 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 in the world is Roberto and and some of these other some of these other uh, higher ups from the Escobar uh, uh, drug cartel still out. It's very similar to a conversation we had a few weeks ago on our episode regarding Hitler uh, and whether he died or not uh, in 1945 in Berlin. Uh, we're t- there, there's a lot of documentaries out there that feature uh, his uh, Hitler's bodyguard. And uh, he's just sitting there getting interviewed by everybody, making money off these documentaries. He's since died. But you're like, this guy's sitting there being an admitted Nazi. He was in the Führer bunker. You know, like, how is this guy not in a gulag somewhere? <laughs> right. You know, right. Well, like, it's the same exact question. How are these people still free? Well, in, in Escobar, when he went to prison, when he conned them into letting him build the cathedral, part of the plea agreement was that he was going to plead guilty to one single charge of drug trafficking. It wasn't – there was no murder. There was no conspiracy. There was none of this other stuff. So a lot of them were even undercharged. And and with Roberto's 10 years that he spent in, in his book, he talks about how he's since gotten the government to agree that they had him in there too long. He should have been released earlier and they have given him $40,000 uh, as uh, – Restitution money? Extra time that he spent in prison. That's nuts. <laughs> it's just – it's just surreal and I, I don't I don't know. It's just fascinating. That's all I can say about These the whole – These people ex- that I think – you get seduced by this – life this world drugs and easy money and it is not easy money what it seems like it and you see all these people that have these stories whether they're the escobars that are you know in the production and 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 uh, you know bringing it here or wherever or the people over here that are doing it you almost have that um nothing can touch me until they get me you know like like they, they just do it and do it and do it until they just go down in flames one of my favorite stories i've ever seen of anyone running drugs was from cocaine cowboys have you ever seen those documentaries i haven't seen that there's a couple of them and so they would bring the drugs you know into miami and so they would use these go fast boats they needed people that um they could put them into these these do they go boats. fast? They do. How about that? And so they, the people that were that were working for the cartel, had a uh, an apartment overlooking where the money would come in to you know off the ocean in these boats. They hire this new guy, this American guy, and they said he's kind of you know this this laid back dude. And they've got like 
I don't know, hundreds or a thousand pounds or whatever of cocaine on his boat. And as he's coming in to offshore, the police boat that patrols the harbor is broken down. So they're like, thank God uh, he's going to go cruise right by him. What's he do? He pulls over to the police boat. He's like, you guys broke down? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, hop on in and just tie on. I'll, I'll pull you to the to harbor. Pulls the police and the police boat with, like, just ridiculous amounts of cocaine on board underneath. They get out. Oh, thanks, you man. Thank you. We can't thank you enough. And he was their guy forever. And he'd have, you know, just cocaine all over the boat and wave at the cops every day when he'd drive by. And wave. <laughs> oh, there goes so-and-so. Oh, he's a really nice guy. This whole mindset of just this crazy, nothing-can-touch-me attitude, it blows my mind. I don't have it, I guess, you know. What I don't have it. Yeah. In Colombia in the 80s, corruption was so rampant and the people were so poor. Pablo had all of the money. He literally owned all of the police. There were none of them on the take. And the ones that, that did have a conscience or grow a conscience, they were murdered. You know, there were hundreds of police officers that were murdered by the cartel in this during this time period. But to actually finally hunt him down, they had to build a special police force of these incorruptible cops. And they, they were trained by the Americans and they were essentially a special forces team. And all of these were people who a lot of them had somehow been injured by Pablo. He'd killed their or their parents or, you know, uh, they, they called him the, the search block. You I can almost call them untouchables. untouchables. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe like the untouchables. Um, so so you, they had to build a police force because all of the police were like your guy on the boat. You mentioned you mentioned just having uh, all of <laughs> just owning Colombia and and having that much money he, to the, to the extent he built a zoo and uh, a funny story I, I heard on uh, another podcast ridiculous history um, my my friends Ben and Noel were talking about hippos they took whenever they killed Escobar they shut down the zoo and took all of the animals out he had brought in hippos um, to to the zoo and they, they had brought in four females and one male and um, the hippos since he had brought them in had started breeding mm. and the, because the, these, these were such ripe conditions for breeding um, those four had turned into like 50 by the time they got there which are also the most dangerous animals like they say the in third, Africa yeah, yeah. yeah it's like the third most dangerous animal in the world yeah. and um and so the, there's this whole tribe of hippos living there right now that they're not sure what to do with. They're like, well, we'll try to castrate some of them. And they're like really worried about this, this like now indigenous hippo population. The Colombian hippo pop. Yeah. Because they, he brought them in for the zoo and they never took Colombian them Colombian hippo pop. I think we just came up with a new musical style. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's just a bunch of fat guys singing in Colombian. You know, if you, if you have that much cash, you have to have a hobby. And Pablo right. was a man he had he had two kids one pablo and and he had a daughter as well but he liked to buy fun stuff for his kids so in this zoo he built like these giant dinosaurs and stuff but this zoo was called was in a place called hacienda napoles and roberto actually talks about it a lot which in english that's that's actually neverland ranch so yeah it's a lot like that without the crazy michael jackson but there's a lot like that just less crazy (laughs) (laughs) 7400 acres Wow. Which makes it about nine times the size of Central Park. So it's just huge. And in addition to hippos, he had lions and elephants and rhinoceros and dr- zebras. Oh campus. <laughs> but he really loved exotic birds. And he would look around and he didn't want to have 
a bird. He wanted to have the most rarest and wildest and craziest bird. So he'd spend a million dollars for the last pair of whatever's about to go extinct. And, and he had all of these crazy and wild things. He had his car collections and stuff like that. And there's, there's a photograph uh, at, at the house with him and, um, uh, Al Capone's model T, you know, oh, wow. uh, he had in, in, in the Colombian government, when they went in, they just torched all this stuff. Oh, they yeah. burned they it all. Just the destroyed ground. everything. Yep. It turns out, Turns out he even had a unicorn. It's true. Yeah, he took a horse, stapled a horn to it because his daughter wanted one. Guess what? Horse died. <laughs> but but for so a few you can't hours, have everything if you have all the money. You had to build one. So you sat down with Roberto, and when you talked, uh, did what, did you talk at all about specifically? Because uh, he came out and made the accusation, um, or he said it in the past about the CIA's involvement. Yeah, they they talk a little bit about the CIA, and, and really, I think Pablo's son talks a little bit more about it than Roberto does. What we talked about mostly that I that I was the most fascinated with about conspiracy type stuff is how Pablo actually died, and that could be related to the CIA or his involvement. But there is a the official government party line that he ran away from them, and the the government troops shot him. But he always said that he would kill himself before he got captured, and the family says that he killed himself. So hmm. that was that was more of what I talked about with the the tour guide that was a family member and and stuff like that. As far as the CIA stuff, I didn't get into that with them. And frankly, I was so in awe and shock that like, what the hell am I doing here, sitting on the couch with the bullet holes in it? You know, <laughs> um, can we get you some coffee? Uh, wait, what? You know, yeah, right? It's just just bizarre. So the conspiracy here is whose bullets really are inside of Pablo Escobar's rotting corpse. After the break on Hysteria 51. I like it. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, That's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages was yeah. the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it, so... It's very high on pronunciation, too, so <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And, you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's it, they design it for long-term retention, you know. It, and, yeah. Uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do, and then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years, and there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm -hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value and you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused. Or really cool. 
I'd go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use, and we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we wanted to do this long term, and uh, it's something that uh, it works. You know, and we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this. And this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now. Right now, get now. started. For Larry, limited time, his Air 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. How much? 50%. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're 50% off. (laughs) Rashate. (laughs) Redeem it. 50% 50% off rosettastone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Whose bullets is it, John? Rattling around in the head. Elvis Presley's. <laughs> Wait, no. That's, that's a wrong. jelly donut. Damn it. Aliens. Yeah, well, alien Hitler reptilians. We just brought it all the, with altimeters. We brought it all around. We kind of covered everything. Reptile wins. <laughs> no, you know who wins? The CIA. <laughs> because Always. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> there is no one more evil or nefarious at the end of the day than the U.S. government. Oh, you guys have power? That's cute. <laughs> that's so cute. Like, there's just, uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. Or the Bilderberg Group. We just talked about that on our, on our other show. So I don't know. So wow. uh, let's hear more, Sam, about uh, about his death and and who really shot him. Well, according to the family, this house, which is kind of up on a hill and it's very fortified. A little bit nondescript when you're just looking at it from the outside, but once you get in, it's clear that you're in a a very, very nice, quaint little fortress. And I believe it was 
at that time like a safe house type place, and it overlooks. Did you say quaint little fortress? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no moats or you know or dragons. I but... want I, at one point I want my house to be described that way. Castle Grayskull. <laughs> <laughs> this thing has a really high wall around it, and it has broken glass across the the concrete top of the brick wall with bulletproof glass looking through the peepholes. It's it's got some it's got some fortress to go with its quaintness. I like to think there's just naked women walking around with like. I don't know, cigars, cigarette, giant mound of coke, sir, cocaine, cocaine, sir. <laughs> like everywhere's got mirrors and razors on it. Like that's cocaine. just, yeah, yeah. Probably, uh, again, probably not that, the way, that was not Eric Clapton. That was, that was probably me. not the way it really was. But in my mind, there's a little boy lighting fireworks and throwing them in the air. <laughs> like like every <laughs> cliche from movies that you've seen, like in, what was that? Uh, uh, Dirk Diggler. What the hell was that movie? <laughs> Uh, um, oh, oh my uh, God! I'm American fu- Amer- Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, yeah. Where he's lighting the fireworks and throwing them in the air. I don't know. Like that's just when I think of quaint little fortress. That's the weird shit that's going on. Well, this thing overlooks the valley, and it, and you can see just down the valley the runway where Pablo could watch his money come and go when he was in this place. But as we're walking through the place, we get to the dining room, and. I'll tell you about the giant painting of a horse here in a minute. Just remind me of that. But this dining room table, my guide, this 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 young lady starts telling us about this being the dining room table where Pablo had his last dinner before they ended up finding him and chasing him down. And the official government story is they were listening to his sat phone and he knew that he could only talk on it for a certain period of time or they could trace it down and find him. And he had gotten a little bit lax, talked a little bit too long, and they were able to find him in a building in town that he had left and gone to after after he'd eaten. He was with uh, a couple of people. One of them was Limon, a bodyguard who was Roberto's driver at one point. And uh, they end up jumping through a window, giving chase, and the government ends up shooting a lot of bullets. Lamone ends up dead on the ground over here. Pablo ends up on the top of a roof. Very famous pictures, uh, a scene that's almost identical to the pictures at the end of Narcos, the TV show, where Roberto is just – I'm sorry, where Pablo is just riddled with bullets uh, and dead. So then the question yeah, becomes – they're, they're posing with him. Um, like he's big game. Yeah, 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 that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and you have you have members of of the Colombian government, the search block guys posing with him. There are pictures of uh, the famous DEA agents, and and there there are about three different ways that they say he died. Uh, he had bullets all in him, but he had one bullet in his ear, like he had shot himself in the side of the head, or somebody else had shot him inside of the head. And they say he was either shot by the government police by himself. Or by a, a Delta Force CIA sniper that was in a building near him. Those are kind of the three stories that run around. But the question becomes, how did they find him? And the party line is, he talked just a little bit too long on his phone. He was talking to his kid, got lackadaisical. They were able to triangulate him and go find him. But you have to understand at this time, there's a giant bounty on his head. Uh, a lot of this money is going to come from the U.S. government. And what our guide suggested to us is that in spite of the fact that the Colombians say that they found him and they get to collect any any money for actually killing Escobar, that his good buddy, Limon, um, the Lemon, I guess, um, he 
had finally decided that it was too much being on the run. He'd like to have the cash, and he called him and said, this is where he is. And they get to the door. He opens the door to let him in to find Pablo, and they shoot him like 40 times. Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It did not. Yeah. So so they say that – which is kind of uh, against their own interest to say that their guy might have turned in Pablo so he could get the money. Right, but right, right. the government lied saying that they did it and killed him so that they couldn't. You know, And then and whether the, the CIA and the Delta Force uh, were involved, I think that there are actually photographs of some of those guys uh, that, that were taken with them as well. Um, but you know, that, that's kind of the conspiracy and the question is, is what happened to him and everybody at this time – was so corrupt and there was so much on all sides. Yeah. Yeah. On all sides. The thing is every single one of those scenarios sounds realistic. Hell, it could have been all all of them. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, this guy's tipping them off, but they also knew he was going to be there and every, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I read, I read a little bit about this and the funny part is how, um, how incredulous some folks in Colombia, get about it like no he shot himself like the po- folks that still put flower wreaths on his grave that are right, big right. pablo escobar fans like no he shot himself like that's the thing you're holding on to right like right. I, I like, <laughs> like okay he 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 died that way instead like it, so it, who cares i guess the big way of looking at this it kind of goes with that sam for me is like how much of when you're look when you're talking to to these the guides and roberto himself how much did you take as and I, I don't know how well your your you know your BS detector goes off on something like this, but how much did you look at it as, as truthful and how much did you say was doctored to shape the image of the Escobar family and, and things like that? Like did you think that they were, were just painting a picture or telling the truth, I guess to say? Well, it's pretty clear that they are trying to they're, they're trying to rehab the image of the family to a certain extent. They would rather people latch on to the, the, the good acts, all of the things that he built and the people that he sent to schools and to hospitals and things like that. Um, if you read Roberto Escobar's book, The Accountant, um, it, it's an interesting story. It's completely unapologetic. I really thought the movie did not stay anywhere close to the book. Ben Affleck didn't look anything like him. <laughs> That's acting. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so so he he held his brother in a high regard. And, and you, the thing you just said there that that sticks out to me is unapologetic. These people looked at it like they weren't doing anything wrong and uh, they're the victims. Well, not necessarily that they're the victims, but that they are on some level the the heroes, you know, and and what they were doing, they were doing for a greater good that, yes, there were bad things that happened, but that's a matter of perspective. Rich white people got a party and the U.S. government got to make their crack cocaine for the lower poverty people. So so it's the greater good. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, if if you think about the things that the U.S. government does, the U.S. government – from their perspective, goes out and kills people, ideally to make things better for their people or whatever their agenda is. And and these guys would have you believe that, that their situation was similar. And and they they would tell us, you know, it's like, look, this guy really was a bad guy. Objectively, he killed a bunch of people. And and they're like, no, you know, we never dealt drugs in Colombia. Our drugs were always somewhere else. If we found out that people were dealing drugs in Colombia, those are the people that we killed. Right. You know, it's like 
a really, really bizarre rationalization of, of how these things could, could be justified somehow. That is funny. You can always, you can always make it right in your mind, John. You know, I'm sorry. What, you know what the common through line here is, no matter who you ask, whether it be uh, folks on the uh, on the American side, whether it be folks on the Colombian side, whether it be folks uh, in the Escobar family, everybody's got a revised narrative, right? Like, right? <laughs> sure, uh, there's self interest everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, a lot of original facts running around. Right, right, right. And so the other thing when we we talk about not getting in the facts, and this is what I was talking about, like the top of the show, the stuff with, you know, Contras and the cocaine trafficking. So these Contras were these rebels. They're, they're, they're fighting a war in Nicaragua. And the big thing, the whole through line to this whole thing and why we keep talking about this conspiracy with the CIA is, if you remember the whole Ollie North and stuff like that, is they thought that the CIA was funding was funding these Contras. Well, it's a rebel uh, guerrilla war force. How are they funding it? Well, the CIA just so happens to have these these resources. Where do they get these resources? Drug money. And they thought that they were taking this money and supposed to be giving it to the Contras. But in turning out, these Contras that were supposed to be being trained and stuff were just being dumped on people, not doing anything. And the money is being used for other drugs. And so the CIA kind of got like a, uh, they pulled the, the, the wool over the eyes of the CIA. Now, again, this has never been proven. <laughs> you know, Oliver North was tried and convicted. That got overturned. And, uh, they've, they've had multiple and multiple, uh, investigations into this that somehow have turned up empty and they couldn't prove anything. Uh, it's just this crazy thing that like, you got to wonder, could the Escobars gotten as far as they did if the government, the U.S. government, didn't see them as a tool or a means to the end? Maybe, maybe not. But he sure sat in a place where and with was allowed to do a lot more than I I was surprised that I would be surprised. I don't think you're able to do what Escobar was able to do without some cover from from some folks somewhere. But said that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Like um I don't know, does that ring true to you or or, or do you think it was just one of those uh Osama bin Laden we couldn't get to him and, and kind of thing, Sam? Yeah, you have a couple of different things pulling against each other at that time. And in, in addition to the, the Sandinistas and the Contras that were being funded with the Oliver North issue in Nicaragua, you also had Manuel Noriega in Panama at the yes, time. Yes. Where, where, where. Panama! <laughs> Panama! Thanks, thanks, Diamond Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, th- this guy. That, was, that, that wasn't. It wasn't. That was me. No. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1,000-watt motor for quick drying and easy glide Flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the cool shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz, bonus attachment volumizes your hair, makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush now. Well, at this time, you have Noriega, who is anti-communist, and then we find out that he's working for communist. I mean, you, you have this pull between 
the issues of whether drugs are good and bad, yeah. whether the Americans are good and bad, yeah. whether the communists are good and bad, all of this stuff circling around in a place where people are really, really poor. Mm. And Escobar figures out a way. I mean, he was basically the Henry Ford of drugs, figures out how to, to do <laughs> I like you know, that. To, uh, yeah. how, to, how to take something that was a very simple uh, low, low key thing and just make it on a huge, huge scale. He was the first person that did that. All of a sudden he has so much cash that he has, he's essentially a, a small government in and of himself. He's got an, his own army. He's got his own fleet. So, so he was a little bit untouchable just because he had so much money Him without Sam Walton or rubbing elbows <laughs> oh, man. Oh, with, man. with money. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this but, thing was so it, huge. It was, you know, bigger than a Walmart. No, bad. Bad. <laughs> well, well, at this time, though, you have the CIA who doesn't really give a shit about drugs. They want to fight the communists. Mm -hmm. They might use drugs as a tool, but they don't really care about that. And Escobar was just a lowly drug runner. Yeah, it's, so they might, it's a hell of a talking point and a hell of a, a catch point. Yeah, right. They didn't really recognize him as such a huge problem. But so, and if you watch Narcos, I think Narcos portrays this pretty well where you have the DEA who's going after the drugs, the CIA that's going after the communists, and these two aren't working together until finally Escobar really comes up on their radar. And one of the things that we haven't talked about when we talk about how many people this guy killed, we're talking about thousands. Mm -hmm. One of them, the guy literally blew up a passenger plane. He blew up a plane with 110 people on it because he thought there was a presidential candidate. And when they were able to find out that that was Escobar that, that probably did that, kind of turned everybody's eyes toward him. And the U.S. government started putting some money into going after him. Simultaneously, they're putting money in other places to or, – or, or using drugs to, to make money to, to fund other little armies and do other things. But – Escobar was kind of his own big thing on top of that as well. And we live in a time where the government is, you know, I keep saying surreal, but we live in a surreal time with our government as well, where all these conspiracy theories that we've been talking about for 20 years about crazy things that the CIA might have done or, you know, they're just not far-fetched anymore. Some of them are, are coming out as being true, and, and there are things that People just believe now because why? Why wouldn't they if they're doing all this? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I was real quick. I was shaking my head as I was agreeing, not telling you. Yeah, sorry. I, I was shaking my head, and John looked at me. It's crazy because oh my god, like you just said, as time goes by and you look more and more outlandish things, all of a sudden become part of the the conscious of things we know, and then you got to step back and look at well, maybe this other shit. <laughs> that I've just completely written off. It's going to be a cold day in hell, but it might be a sad day too when they go, oh yeah, and that was true, and this was true, and you're like, well, son of a bitch, man. Like, what do I believe? What do I not believe? Alternative facts. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. What do you, what, where are you at on that, John? I, you know, the, the, the funny part about, um, I think Sam said it best when he talked about, you know, different objectives. The DEA, DEA had an objective. The CIA had an objective. And when the CIA's objective at the time was was defeating communism. Mm -hmm. So a little drug runner, that that's just not on their radar. Fundum, whatever, just there. Like a, I said, he was a tool to them. It's a, but means, yeah, to, it's yeah. a means to an end. And everybody has their own end and their own agenda. So um, use them up. Who cares? Yeah. And <laughs> – the problem is the CIA grossly, I mean, assuming they were involved, right. um, grossly misunderstood and mis underestimated. And, 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 and underestimated what that cocaine money could do. 
which was pretty much whatever the hell he wanted at the time. I mean, when you start thinking about the amount of cocaine that you can, the, <laughs> how much cocaine is worth like street value and how much you can uh, get into the country pretty easily on in a small, I mean, you think about how much like fits on a small Cessna, things like that. It's it's crazy. It's crazy the amount of money that they could make in a small amount of time. Yeah, it it's astounding. And you know, when Pablo Escobar started, he he was a smuggler. I mean, he he got things you weren't supposed to have from this place to that place. And they they knew of people smuggling pot, but but marijuana by the pound is pretty big and not worth right. a, a whole lot of money. Right. When you take that same space and that yeah. same weight. It just is is exponential, yeah. so very much more. And this happened at a time where we didn't give a shit about coke. You know, it, it was illegal, but nobody was really trying to sneak it into into the country on a, on a grand scale. So they were able to just walk it across. Your your price for pound, because all he's doing is running it. He doesn't give a shit what it is. Like you said, you can make so much more money. Have you ever seen the irony them- of that? Is that he was a uh, that Pablo Escobar didn't care about doing coke. He liked doing pothead. Yeah, he was a pothead. Yeah. Have you seen them make cocaine? Have you seen like the videos where they make it? Dude, they lay it out on floors and douse it with gasoline and all this crazy. Like whoever came up with the process. What? I've seen the movies. It's always hot women in brawn panties. Yeah, yeah. So they can't smuggle. Yeah, those are the people chopping it up. Yeah, I'm talking about the dirty old guy, you know, chewing on coca leaves, pouring gasoline on a bunch of leaves. <laughs> part one of part two, <laughs> but similar. He's not in his underwear because he doesn't. He can afford them. <laughs> it's a little different. So Colombia, you know, you, you look at the the land over there and stuff, and you talk about how beautiful it is. Does it seem very poor? Well, what's the what's it feel like when you're over there, other than just the the yeah, today. the landscape today? Yeah, it, it, it there there are very poor people. Uh, there there's still a huge economic disparity, but the country itself has has rebounded very very well uh, politically. They their government has done a really good job of um, eliminating a lot of the 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 danger and the crime and the fear. I think we're still on a list of places not to go, but that's a political thing. It's not really based on any empirical evidence. Right. Uh, it's a it's one of the safest places that you can go in South America now. If I'd you buy to- that for a dollar. <laughs> no conspiracy buddies, right? No. <laughs> like yeah, you, you go just, there. What you just said is true. A lot of the things that you, they tell you not to do really doesn't have anything to do with actual fact more than uh, bullshit posturing from politics. Absolutely, and. You know, it just if you look at the sheer numbers of people who get kidnapped or get uh, or or die, this is way safer than going in most places in Mexico nowadays. Where say don't go over the border, you know, don't go over the border. And you know, when I, I when I tell people I go to some some of the places that I go, you know, they they look at you like, are you insane? You would go there, you would bring your family there. You know, if you do a little bit of studying and you, you that have was a little when bit you of, said that you went to the Waffle House though. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So little do you know, you get off the plane with him. There's a car waiting. They call him like L something. And you're like, son of a bitch. What the fuck have I gotten into? <laughs> you don't know that uh, Sam Culper is short for uh, Sam Escobar. <laughs> for the first time, you've never seen it before. Sam puts on mirrored aviator glasses. Yeah. <laughs> like, like wait, you've never even worn those before. What is happening? Are you ready? Showtime. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, uh, let, let's uh, let's take this home. Tell us more about your actual encounter with Roberto. What else was said? What, what else did he share with you? 
Well, well mo- most of the, most of it involved a tour of this house, uh, and he was kind of waiting in the wings for a lot of it while I there. This was, I believe, like a a Saturday morning when you would expect tourists to be doing things. There was like like two other people that showed up while I was there. This is not a very well known thing. I like the thing is you're like one of the first ones, and he's in the back like waiting with bated breath, like ready. Yeah. Oh, he's gonna hop out at the end. It's a me. <laughs> why does he sound? Why does he sound like Mario? Yeah, he would fit that role so perfectly. Well, you know, but but th- this place is just. If you look around on the internet, you can find pictures of Roberto with people. You know, it, it is something that he does to try to spread the word. There's not a lot of it, but according to them, and his, one his of small the, little museum clears fourteen point six million dollars per day, so that oh, helps yeah, out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On paper, at least according to his tax returns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, my my big question was was what the fuck? How? How has this happened that this is here? How because there there are really cool things. One one of them, he loved James Bond. And he had one of the uh, in in one of the James Bond's Bond movies, um, I can't remember which one, they, they were riding around on wet bikes, the predecessors yeah. to the jet skis. Mm-hmm. He loved he loved them, so he ordered a couple up from the people who made him for the movie. And and they have one of those there that somebody had snuck off with and then one of them that the government kind of destroyed and burned up a little bit they've got all of these old cars they've got you know like 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 cars with bullet holes and bulletproof glass and wow, my question to awesome. them was how in the hell is this stuff here how does the government yeah, how did is it not taken like how did they not because they, they seized all of his stuff how do you have this stuff and that was kind of where my line of questioning went and and kind of the answer was well None of this stuff was really in Pablo's name or Roberto's name. It was owned by other people. Right, right, you know? right. And when Roberto got out of prison, whoever owned this house, they knew that it was really Roberto, so they were happy to let him come back and live there. You know, <laughs> which is is uh, you know, on the face of it, sure, okay, that's interesting, but when you think a little bit deeper into that, it's a little bit creepy and scary unnerving i I was really hoping you were going to say that uh, like he's he's a huge spy spy film fan he loves austin powers (laughs) like he's like this nefarious horrible person who's in jail missing an eye he's a big austin powers fan do i make you horny baby do i do i make you randy he's using a random shit like he's got one of the world's finest pokemon collection (laughs) like you know (laughs) He tours. Come look at my Tamaguchi. He's huge in the laser disc. (laughs) Just (laughs) random bullshit. Um, He probably had the first one. Yeah, right. Yeah, probably did. Yeah. Well, they they kidnapped the guy who invented it and made him make it for them, like Iron Man style in a cave somewhere. Make it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, the other thing that was happening kind of around this time is. You know, we have Narcos on Netflix, which really kind of brought Pablo Escobar back into the public persona. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody all, all of a sudden knows who he is and, and what he did and where his story comes from. And Roberto was pissed about Narcos. One, because if you've have you have you guys seen Narcos, the, the TV series? I saw the first season. I, I, I have not watched beyond that. What did you think about Roberto's spot in that movie or in that show? He's not in it. I, I was about to say not much. I don't remember. Yeah, he he's he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't appear in it at all. And there's not really. Oh, so that's why he's pissed. Okay. That represents him, and and he really was a huge part of what was going on. There's another figure that's fairly outspoken. Have you guys heard of Popeye? The Sailor Man. 
Uh, well, two, you know, two, no, that's no. kind of where he got his name. But yeah, but no, the the yeah, one of his, his the, the cartel guys. He was one of the big hitmen. He killed mm-hmm. hundreds of people. He was notorious, mm-hmm. and he's also out and he gives interviews and you know he's reformed. He's found Jesus and he's helping people nowadays. But he likes to tell his stories. Popeye also not in Narcos. So there are a number of folks that are in this that are either a character that didn't exist that's an amalgam of other real people or you might have a real person in there but he ends up being um, a, a mix of, of different characters. You know, So they, they took a little bit of license but Roberto wasn't included at all in the Narcos TV show. And that's a hell of a, he gets, of a, of a, a name to be – yeah, left out. Well, well – in in my thought is frankly he's alive. They don't want to have to mess with him. They don't have to deal with right. you know copyright and in in paying him monies that they might owe to do that and things. Well, so he gets pissed. What do a couple of dirt merchants like you know about like this? Right, sorry, keep going. Uh, yeah, you know. Well, he <laughs> his company those dirt merchants. He through his company starts threatening Netflix. They start applying for uh, various uh, copyright type. Claims right. towards Escobar name and the story because he and founded then, Escobar Inc. with Olaf uh, Gustafsson and uh, right. back in 014. So he's got his own con- company. Well, while they were scouting for locations to film the show, one of their scouts w- actually shows up dead. This guy ends up found riddled with bullets and you, you get some ominous language from Olafson in this this company where where he suggests to Netflix i think the quote was i don't want netflix or any other film production company to film any movies in medellin or colombia that relates to me or my brother pablo without the authorization from escobar inc and he goes on to say it is very dangerous especially without our blessing this is my country that's kind of ominous and a little bit scary so then he, he, oddly enough he threw in a Right afterwards, which was really impressive. <laughs> and then he takes his pinky and he puts it towards his mouth and he says, Netflix, I want one billion. Dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and says that he's going to go after them for a billion dollars. Yeah, with the, with the big B, yep. You know, uh, and, and this was kind of around the time that I was down there. So that's a little, little bit of the stuff that was talked about is how he wants – to be able to tell his family's real story and not the propaganda story that was told. And I think Netflix, you know, there, there are questions about certain things that happened, like how Pablo died, but, but it's fairly regarded as, as a fairly accurate portrayal of what, um, the narcotics trade looked like in Colombia at that time and how politically things were happening. But it doesn't paint a very good light on Pablo or the Escobar family, and he didn't like that. Right. Now, it's my understanding since then he has kind of abandoned some of those claims. I, I've read certain things that said maybe he had um, settled with them. I don't know, um, but you know that's that's kind of the the interesting another interesting part of it to me is that you know this is a huge thing that's going on in pop culture right now. But these real people are all still out there. As I was traveling around Colombia, I had a couple of different drivers and, and, and guides. And one of the guys taking me around Medellin for a couple for, – for a while um, spent time talking about the various ways that people look at him. You know, there, there are about three different generations of people who think about Escobar in Colombia. And, you know, it's, it's like seeing people walking around with T-shirts of Che Guevara. Che Guevara was a revolutionist and he – on yeah. paper, some good things, but he was a really bad dude if you really look into well, it. People sure and, love wearing oh, yeah, those I mean, Shea shirts, he man. Was, he, he was best friends with Fidel. Yeah, he, I have best friends with Fidel. 
but, you know but people but, people people love to to pretend that he's their hero right well let legend has come out of uh, uh, of some of the original facts you know there's right. a lot of myth that goes along with them and, and that myth grows and, and they turn almost into these these mythical superhero type characters mm-hmm. so you have a generation of people who either were beneficiaries of his goodwill when he was building the community and paying people off or giving them jobs when they were, when they, there were no jobs to be had, but you had people who, you know, my, my brother was a police officer. My, my sister was killed in a bombing or, you know, you have the people who saw their country being destroyed. And, And one of, one of the guys that was taking us around, he wouldn't say his name and, you know, he, he would talk to us in English but in English, he would always refer to him as my country's most famous criminal mm. because there were always people around and they might speak just a little bit of English. But even if they couldn't speak English, they would know the name if you said the name and they would wonder what the hell we were doing around there. Right, and t- right, right. Uh, a guy that drove us around for quite a while, he, he was driving us around in Cartagena, but he was from Medellin, which is, I believe, the second largest city in the country. It's a pretty big spot. But – you know, he was uh, like a young adult when all of this stuff was happening in the, the late 80s, 80s, early 90s. And he said he remembers being in his house and having the American helicopters come and, and shoot up the rockets into the houses in the side of the mountains because they thought that um, you know, the narco traffickers were, were, were in you know, these houses and how how terrifying it was. I had another guy, my, my wife and I went one day to an, an, a little English class or a little Spanish group. We, let's go work on our Spanish together. And one of the teachers there was talking about living in a small village and having, you know, the, the, the rebels come up on his village and hold everybody at gunpoint. I mean, these were people that were held in, you know, had, had a really scary time to live. And, I don't even know what what the hell I started talking about with this, but you know, <laughs> you know, it just it, it it's su- there's such a broad range of opinions mm-hmm. of what these people were like and what they did. There's three generations, and each generation has a very distinct, different view on it. But but now 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 we now he's a TV show to us, right? Right, exactly. Let's take this home. Let he kind of brought us into the legacy of it. Like what, yeah. what are our thoughts and, on how it it, it, on, it impacts exactly. us? Yeah. When I look at it, you know, I think he just said it really well. He's became a cartoon character like this, this TV show. You know, we don't think of Pablo Escobar as as public enemy number one anymore. We think of him as uh, dollar signs, not because of the dollars he made, but the money that they could make off of his likeness. Anytime you think of a cartel head, they are probably portraying in for one way or another Pablo Escobar. You know what I mean? And it's crazy because he was an evil person forget the drugs and forget all that it's like you said sam and we talked about he killed a lot of people but just like shay and all these other people he also gets put on a pedestal in a lot of ways and then you got people like his brother that you're you're talking about and they're trying to change the outlook on it and i think my big takeaway is this is you gotta look at this was a bad man this was a bad guy don't forget that don't let the uh, the uh, allure of the money and the whole lifestyle and the politics of contraband and all that stuff take away from that. He was a criminal and he was a murderer. And uh, yeah, the best thing that could happen was him riddled with bullets. I don't know, Sam, what were your thoughts? Like what, what's your takeaway from meeting him and going there? Like you said, you love Columbia and you go there a lot. So, you know, obviously you've got, you got more skin in the game than we do. I, I do love Columbia. And in fact, I'd love to live there. 
Well, what, what, one of the things that really comes to mind is this is a country that ended up just in, in a complete war. And one of the things that we don't really think about is how much of that was our fault. Mm-hmm. They would, we wouldn't need a Pablo Escobar to exist if we weren't doing all of the cocaine. Right. And you think about the fact that you have a war on drugs here and Ronald and Nancy Reagan and their involvement at the time and what that looks like now, this war on drugs that we have now and, and, and the opioid addiction and criminalizing drug use and, and what criminalizing that does to our country. But we think about what it does to our country, but we don't think about what it's doing to these little smaller places where they're actually having to make this stuff and people are getting killed to, to – bring it around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, other, the other thing that really comes to mind is this guy is built up to be something larger than life. And, and they do want you to remember, remember all of these great things that he did and how Pablo was dirt poor. He went to school barefoot because he didn't have money to buy shoes. And he came in, he ended up being this really great man who shaped the future uh, and is part of our history now for forever. But there were a lot of people who were dirt poor in uh, the, in rural Colombia, going to school with no shoes on, that, that grew up and probably lived pretty good lives without killing thousands of people. <laughs> That's a really good point, yeah. Yeah, everyone wants to make excuses for their own actions, and some of them are a little harder to swallow of a pill than others, it seems to, you know, at least to me. And when you're trying to to wipe away the sins of murder by going, yeah, but he gave he gave to charity. <laughs> you know, or he did this, that, and the other. When there is a lot of ways, you know, more than one way to skin a cat, you know, to get yourself out of it. I don't know, John. What's your what's your thought? There, there's no question that drug addiction is a big problem and it needs to be treated. Um, but I think it's been evidenced time and time again throughout this country's history and throughout the world's history is that prohibition does not work. Prohibition. Um, Prohibition tends to create more problems than it solves. Yeah. And it certainly creates a black market, uh, as was evidenced by the mafia in Chicago and yeah. New York and other cities uh, around the prohibition of alcohol in this country, as has been evidenced since. He, by- he said he had Al Capone's car. He probably looked at him as like an influence. Right, right. Only he wasn't rotting away with syphilis yeah, in, exactly. uh, in prison. Um, there, there are pictures of him mimicking the old Al Capone, Al Capone pictures with the costumes, with the shotguns, wow. with the – I mean, Wow. Yeah. He, he, he looked up to him. No, no question. Prohibition creates men like this because it gives them the opportunity to, um, uh, to capitalize on, on what is not allowed. And then when you compound the fact that you have uh, that you have certain entities like the CIA that are going to take advantage of situations mm-hmm. if it allows them to, whether it be drug runners or anything else, because they look they think they're doing the greater good by eliminating communism for the world. Yeah, uh, it just creates bad situations, and I think that's what happened here. Um, and I agree with what Sam said. You know, uh, sometimes we don't consider the impact of what happens here on other countries. Yeah, yeah. that's also true. It's that whole American blinders. Well, yeah. uh, any country. Yeah, I, I, I agree I, with that. But yes, we all just think about what happens in our own backyard. Yeah. Um, I think in general that the just the concept of prohibition creates a lot of these problems and creates a void 
that men like Pablo Escobar and his brother Roberto come in to fill. So that's our takes on it. What do you guys say, Hysteria Nation? How can they let us know their thoughts on Pablo Escobar, Roberto Escobar, Sam Culper, and that beautiful Sam Shepard voice? (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful Shepard Gray voice. Sam Shepard. Damn it. (laughs) I wish he sounded like Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard. That's right. So does he. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Hop on Hysteria Nation. Get on Facebook. Search Hysteria Nation. That's where we discuss all of this stuff. Yeah, and while you're hopping on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hysteria51pod. That's just where you can find this episode, all the other episodes. Don't forget, when you're on Facebook, look up Breakers, too. That's Sam's podcast. Twitter, at Hysteria51pod. Look up Hysteria51 on Instagram. Leave us a voicemail, 773 669 7277. That's 773-669-7277. And we're going to read you something. A five-star review that someone left us on iTunes. Because we'd love for you to do it. It just feels right. Doesn't it feel good getting those five-star reviews, Sam? It's fantastic. And keep the one-star reviews to yourself. <laughs> I, I, I always tell everybody. This 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 is kind of my motto when it comes to reviews. If you like us, review us and tell your friends. If you don't, just keep your damn mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So you got any new ones, John? Yes, our first review comes in from a brand new listener, uh, Rywick. Brand Ry- new listener is that the name that they used? Uh, well, he, you'll you'll understand. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, Rywick. Uh, the headline is another podcast to marathon. Five stars. Hey, there you go. Hi, new listener. See, I told oh, you. I told you you'd figure so it's it out. That is a clever intro. There yeah. you go. All right. Uh, coming from Maine and Boston. Lives in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Uh, I don't know your general age range, but I feel like a baby at 21 going through the Facebook page. <laughs> uh, y'all are great, though I love when you talk about Giorgio from Ancient Aliens, because my dad and I have dr- a drinking game centering around him and the phrase ancient astronaut theorists. Yes. Yeah. You're going <laughs> to get drunk. <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah. Uh, I plow through podcasts. Got through the whole backlog of uh, Where Did the Road Go and Project Archivist. Y'all are next in line. I'm already through a ton of them. Enjoying the hell out of it and haven't checked out your story yet. Uh, but if it's got a shirt that says Stay Woke Meat Sacks, there's gonna be my, that's going to be my next treat for myself. Hey, it sure does. It we sure does. Why don't you go purchase it? Tpublic.com. Uh, I love Seabot. Teespring and- on that one, I think. Oh, is that one on Teespring? I think it's one or the other. I love Seabot and, for one, embrace my future robot overlords. <laughs> Sounds like a smart guy. <laughs> uh, peace out, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. And he gave a shout-out to uh, Rojan and Lobo from Project Archivist, too, yeah, another yeah. show we really like. That's awesome. That's uh, awesome. Let's see here. Another five-star. Give us one more. Oh, wait. Five-star. Pecker is the best. <laughs> From Ewoks are cool. <laughs> so it's Joe. <laughs> Joe just making a new a new account. That's uh, what... Here's the review. I love Pecker. <laughs> How many? I, I mean, this is getting ridiculous. How many of these are there? Uh, more than one. So too many. Too many. Too many. That's at least two. Too many. Yeah. <laughs> so right. there you go. If you wanna, if you wanna have a chance to 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 hear us shamefully read your five star review, <laughs> just leave <laughs> just one. Go leave one. <laughs> just go leave one on iTunes. It's that simple. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for being on. Where can people find you? Give us the rundown. You can find me on uh, the Twitter at Sam Culper. That's uh, Culper with a K. Uh, you can also find us uh, at Breakers Podcast uh, all across social media. So uh, look for us. Come yeah, see us. If talk- you haven't listened, listen. It's really good. It's really good. Thanks for joining the show, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a blast. Love the show, and I look forward to uh, 
listen in to all the great and wonderful things that you guys do in the future. Especially this episode, because it's finally going to be a good especially, one, said, is what he was he, Especially. So I get points on this, right? Is that how that works? That's, that's, this is worth two points. And then like if it. you uh, if you send, uh, I think John asked for nudes from you, that's worth five, he said. No, Seabot asked for that. Oh, oh I'm, I, I got that confused. <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, I've been Brent. I've been Sam. I've been John. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.